0: Hi, everyone. This is Brooke. Welcome to The Grief Coach. You can find us on social at the underscore grief coach. And with me today, I have Adam Rabinovich, who is with the Cope Foundation, and I'm going to have him introduce himself and tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Thanks, Cope. Thanks, Brooke. <laughs> uh, and thanks to COPE for uh, allowing me to be here as well to share a bit about our organization and how we support families living with loss. Uh, I'm the executive director of COPE Foundation. We started in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few family members who were living with the loss of their children came together to lean on each other and support each other. First, it was in a really informal way. So you can picture moms and dads living with the loss of their children sitting in their living rooms, not knowing how to get out of bed the next day, not knowing what tools were out there for them to to live with this new loss. And um, as time went on and they leaned on each other and supported each other, they realized that there was uh, a whole network of families who were living with similar losses. And uh, a few years later, COPE became a an established nonprofit organization. And now um, we have been focused on supporting Parents and families living with the loss of a child, as well as children living with the loss of a loved one. And I, I'd love to talk about that as, as well with you.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, so, if you can talk about um, how you got involved with the Cope Foundation and how your own experience with grief um, influenced sure. your decision to
1: join. And I grew up um, in a family living with the loss of a child. I'm the oldest of, of three living children, and we had a, a sister, Marnie who died uh, way too young at a very early age in in the 1970s in the the suburbs of New York. And at that time, I don't think there were any real support networks or systems for my parents or even for a young kid like me. I was four or five at the time uh, to connect with others who were living with a common or similar loss Mm. or certainly to have the kinds of support structure and, and the the services and tools that COPE has been providing. So when I joined the organization in 2018 as the executive director, um, it was uh, first of all a, an opportunity to meet families like my own and get to know them and their stories and work with them and support them, but also to have new conversations in my own family about what the loss of uh, my parents' daughter, my sister has meant uh, for us and how we've integrated her loss in our life. Uh, so it's given us a fresh way to look at at uh, at, at an, a crucial part of our family's life as well.
0: All right, and so that's it's so amazing when you think of like the evolution of these support networks. I feel like now there's so many. Um, But for you guys um, and your experience with grief, um, obviously the Cope Foundation would have been great. So I would love if you can talk a little bit about, um, you support both parents and children, how parents specifically, obviously that's like out of the natural order of how we think about that. Right,
1: that's so well said.
0: And just talk about some of the services you provide to parents specifically, and then later in the episode we can talk about uh,
1: children. Absolutely, and and that's one of the things that really does make Cope Unique and you hit it, uh, you hit the nail on the head is there, uh, are too few and far between support structures and organizations for specifically parents living with the loss of a child. It it is out of the natural order. We as kids, young adults expect to outlive our parents. So when the opposite happens and a parent loses their child, the whole uh, order is out of whack, as you say. And what we found just learning and talking to a lot of family members is that children for so many parents, if not all, represent hope. And when a parent loses a child, that hope is taken away. So we are there, uh, again, not to help uh, parents get over their kind of uh, their loss, no, regardless of, of what the, the causes are, but how to live with the loss and integrate it. So um, the way that we support uh, family members, including uh, adults, young adults, and now more and more children and teens, uh, the heart and soul of what we do are facilitated support groups. Mm-hmm. So uh, across the New York area and hopefully in the future in different parts of, of the world, we have licensed clinicians who mm-hmm. facilitate peer-to-peer support groups. So, for example, if you can picture moms and dads coming together in a safe space, sharing their grief journeys, always with a professional in the room to help facilitate those conversations. Mm -hmm. And those networks become crucial support systems for for each of the parents. Uh, We also offer healing workshops, everything from mindfulness and meditation to Reiki and yoga, writing workshops, Mm -hmm. music workshops, any tool that we um, believe and hope can help family members get through the day, get through the week, get through the month, get through the year as they go on through their grief journey, we want to provide. We have a a whole ton of resources on our website, which I know we'll talk more about later, that are uh, available for anyone uh, to to refer to. And uh, in 2011, we took a, um, a a deliberate and proactive plunge into. Uh, the world of supporting grieving children. And Mm -hmm. this is something I know that um, is close to your heart and and your family story, Brooke. So I'd love to hear more about that as well. And I know you've shared it with your audience before. And the way that COPE is connected with grieving children is specifically through a national network called Camp Erin. And there is a wonderful organization called Eluna, E-L-U-N-A. I'll make sure that your listeners have the website. There's some resources there as well. And we are the New York City area Camp Erin provider. So Mm -hmm. every summer and happening again each August, uh, kids between the age of six and 17 who are living with the loss of a loved one come together with professional clinicians and volunteers in a beautiful, safe summer camp experience. And they have both bereavement and grief support, as well as summer camp experiences like rope climbing, swimming, and it's a happy and sad experience, but it's really meant to give the kids, A, a common language, so they're connecting with other kids who are living with the loss of a loved one. For many of them, it's the first time meeting someone like them. Yeah. And also giving them uh, just a, a fantastic time in, in the Pocono Mountains in uh, in rural Pennsylvania. Yeah,
0: there's so many places I feel like I could go with the things go. you just said. Go. So, um, I think the thing that's so great about how you've structured the summer camp and how even like as an adult you experience grief is like sometimes you're fine so like yes you'll go rope climbing and then sometimes you want to talk about it or you need to talk about it and I think for children especially in some of the literature you share but both in seeing within my own family and For listeners, um, those of you, I don't think, I've talked about this a ton, but my um, mom's sister passed away when um, I was 12, and my cousins, her children um, were 15, 12, and 9. So we experienced, watching that loss, we are a very close family. um, And so that was like obviously a very traumatic experience for all of us. Um, But the thing with children especially is there's a bit, of resilience that I think I like is harder as an adult and like you get not used to as a child, but you can kind of just maybe compartmentalize or whatever it is. And you may know a little bit more from your colleagues who are psychologists, but that, um, children have a way of resilience which i think is like really phenomenal
1: well you're so spot on and so smart and insightful because in 2017 we added an element to the kids camp erin which is a concurrent parent retreat so at the same time that these amazing resilient 6 to 17 year olds young kids and teenagers are having their bereavement and camp experience. Their parents and caregivers are on the other side of a lake, the lake Mm -hmm. in the Poconos, having the same kind of structured environment. So there's opportunities for memory candles and memory boards and... If, if not uh, uh, flag football, certainly there's time for reflection and fun as well. And then at the end of the summer camp, the kids and the adults come together and now they have a new common language within their own family units to talk about their shared grief.
0: Right, and I think like that's so amazing that they're doing that because oftentimes like we don't have the language of how to talk right. about it. And I found like, the more and more into this world that I'm going, like I'm getting more tools to speak about it. That's great. But a lot of people, I feel like, don't so giving them that is so amazing and I also just feel like personally like being in nature is so helpful. Yes, yes when you're grieving. That's right. And like this summer I tried to spend as much time as possible like outside, whether it was like hiking by the beach, like whatever it was. Um and so that's so great. Well said that you guys For are doing sure. that. Um so if you can talk a little bit, I feel like a good place to go from there is the difference between how children experience grief versus adults. Sure. Um
1: and we can talk about some of the expectations or myths that, that uh, your listeners and others might have about um, how children grieve, what's common, what's unique. Yes, I
0: would love
1: that. One uh, one point that I'll make early on is, and I have to remember this with my own daughter, uh, even when she's not grieving, is that children aren't mini-adults. They're children. <laughs> and so um, when it comes to processing emotions, including grief and loss, they don't do it in the same way that adults do necessarily. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, clinicians especially have noticed is uh, working with kids over a period of time, and I'm sure the family members uh, realize this as well, when, when living with a, a child who's processing grief, grief can come in bursts. So one minute they could be outside playing with their friends, collecting fireflies, and the next minute they can be exhibiting uh, uh, symptoms of grief, whether it's withdrawal, anxiety, and so it comes and goes, and and that's part of a, a, a more... Um, uh, common trend that we've noticed uh, in the past a lot folks would talk about uh, the stages of grief how w- one can progress from one stage to uh, the next uh, almost like a ladder and over time and with research and data and a lot of testimonials we've learned that really grief for adults and kids is more like an ocean and waves yeah. and back to your, your, uh, your, your point about nature if you can picture being on the beach or being out in a in a, uh, a, a calm or less calm body of water, and, and the waves are ebbing and flowing, so is grief. So it comes and it goes. And for children, it's the same. They just might not have it. And we'll talk about different um, stages of development for, for children and teens. They not, might not have the tools yet to process at any given moment. So that's a, a role that adults and not just family members can play to help and be present and support kids along their own grief journey.
0: Yeah. And I'd love if you could give some examples of how to talk to children um, who are in different stages. For sure. Um, I know that's something that we had talked about off the air, but I think that would be really helpful for listeners because it does vary based on how old the child is, where they are, and developmentally.
1: Absolutely. And you ask all the right questions and and they all deserve really long and lengthy (laughs) answers. So I want to make sure that you and your listeners know that um, we have a whole bunch of resources. I'll just um, uh, remind you all at, uh, on our website, copefoundation.org, including everything that Brooke and I will, will talk about today and a lot more. And I'm sure that she'll be sharing it out with you as well. So I'll just touch on a couple of, of um uh, areas that we've noticed working with kids of different ages, um, taking you through from let's say age three, four, five, even, which was the age that I was when I lost my sister, up until adolescent and even young adulthood. So how old was she? Uh, she was about two when she passed. Oh yeah, thanks for asking. And um, so at my age, and I even have some some somewhat vivid memories of playing peekaboo with her at my age, three and a half, four. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely elements of, of our relationship, hers and mine, that stick with me. At the same time, it felt and feels impersonal. It didn't feel like the deep connection that so many um, older children and certainly adults feel to the, the, the loss of a loved one. Um, so that was one thing that I noticed. And we see that in children uh, at, at a really young age, especially when they're exposed to uh, media video games where death and loss is just a blip on a screen and mm-hmm. the next thing you know while uh, the, the, the coyote or whoever the character is is back and better than before so it's hard for a real young kid to process what the finality of death and loss really means mm-hmm. as kids get a little bit older and please jump in at any time um, particularly around the ages of five and then heading to nine or 10, they they do start to to realize the finality of death, but they still might not make the personal connection of what it means, what what does this mean to me, that kind of question that we grapple with as we we move through into adolescence. Um, And at that point, people are really starting to lock into the fact that uh, death is not only final, but then to start to have some questions and often unanswered questions of what life and death mean. So Mm -hmm. that's uh, a complexity that gets added into uh, a young person's life as well. Any questions, comments, concerns so far? Otherwise, I'll uh, dig in a little deeper into some of the developmental stages and how to talk to kids. Yeah, if you could
0: talk about that, I think that'd be really
1: helpful. So for family members and other loved ones who may be uh, living with or supporting uh, kids, let's say age 10 to 12, um, first of all, to keep an eye and always uh, know that you can reach out for support, whether it's to COPE Foundation or to professionals in, in your area, um, Know that there's some particular reactions that may uh, bubble up from from uh, preteens. Let's say um, shock, denial, anxiety, anxiety. Some of the ones we already mentioned. Um, that uh, understanding of the finality of death, which can um, hit like a hammer, and um, and recognizing that there's uh, also um, this this uh, peer-to-peer um, challenge when I talked a little bit about Camp Aaron and the kids who come together for the first time, in many cases connecting with other kids living with loss. When a child who may have lost a parent or a sibling goes back to school, for example, they may feel very alone and right. isolated in that context because their buddies and their friends on the playground and in the classroom might not have that same kind of connection and likely don't. So important to be Uh, cognizant of that
0: yeah and I think like no matter how old you are and I've talked about this with like even my own family of like you don't you know like intellectually like oh that's a horrible thing that happened but until you experience a loss of someone close to you you don't get
1: it that's that's so true and I I feel (laughs) the same way absolutely And just talking to you now and learning some of your family stories um helps me to make that that connection as well in a new way so I appreciate that and I'll just I'll, I'll list a few tips and again um, we'll be sharing these out to the audience so you can um, have them at your disposal but um, if and when you're you're supporting a grieving uh, let's call it a preteen around 10 11 12 13 everyone develops a little bit at, at their own um, pace but uh, first of all when when inevitably you're asked questions or if you're you um, are uh, giving, uh, support without being asked questions, uh, be honest and be truthful and factual. And it's also okay to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So if, uh, if, if or when a, a child comes to you as the adult and, uh, is looking for some answer of whatever level of complexity it can be philosophical mm-hmm. or where did daddy go? That kind yeah. of question. It's, uh, m- more than a hundred percent. Okay. To say, uh, I don't know. And if there's something that you think that there's, um, value to a conversation that you can learn and teach yourself more and then mm-hmm. teach the child, it's also okay to say, let me get back to you on that. So be honest and be upfront. Um, Give them reassurances about the future, that fear and anxiety can kick in and stay for a long, long time, as uh, I'm sure so many of us know. Um, What does this mean for me and my future now that um, my loved one is gone? So reassure them about the future. You don't have to make uh, unrealistic promises, but you can have an honest conversation.
0: And one thing that we talked about before we started recording is, like, I've seen anecdotes where young children, um, I think a little bit before preteen, but they'll... If you'll say, like, oh, they went to heaven or, like, they've gone far away, like, the kid will say, like, well, can I go? Right. Or, like, when do I get to go? Right, right, exactly. And they don't realize that, like, what the finality of death is. That's it. And so I think, like, I can only imagine as a parent or an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, like, that would be, like, gut-wrenching. Absolutely. To have to answer and explain. So I do think that, like, I don't know it's like not a terrible answer. Not, not, not so even a little. I think so often we want to feel like we have to say like, the right thing. That's right. But I
1: don't know. Sometimes it's the right thing. No, and I, I to to your point, it's not about solving in that moment or in the big picture. It's about having being there, being present, having the open, honest conversation, and telling your uh, your loved child or or the one who's close to you, who might be struggling at an early age, that even we as adults don't have all the answers, and that's okay too. Yeah. Um, and just a couple of other things I, I wanted to mention, especially for those younger kids, is um, especially if they're readers, reading can be or whatever. A modality, if it's on a, on a Kindle, an iPad, whatever it is, but um, getting some stories, finding some stories that might connect with them, and mm-hmm. um, again reduce the sense of isolation, know that they're not alone. We have on our website uh, a whole book corner with suggestions for adults That's and great. kids of yeah. of reading. It's a nice way to. Um, to share with them, uh, authors and other artists' stories, uh, help them to develop, help the kids to develop and maintain their own sense of identity, that um, their place in this world. Um, may feel change and there may feel mm-hmm. and be, be a seismic shift, but they need to hold on to their own identity and, and help them navigate that as best as one can. Yeah. And, uh, the last thing I'll mention for, for the younger kids in particular, and, and this is a tricky one again, as I find with my own 13 year old child is to listen to what they say and try and listen to the things that they don't say. So, um, a level of empathy from the adult, uh, Vantage point is crucial, and um, will we'll be we'll pay a lot of dividends uh, again in the short term and the long term for the child. Um, as we think about uh, kids, teenagers, a little bit older, a lot of the same kinds of and these are still kids we're talking about, even though the brain's changing, the neurons are changing, peer pressure is changing, and a lot of um, things are happening. But they're still just bigger kids, so. Those elements of anxiety, distress, shock mm-hmm. can instill and do still um, pop up quickly and stay often. Um, sadness, feeling withdrawn, uh, often in teens who are grieving the loss of a loved one. Uh, there'll be physical symptoms as well. It can manifest in uh, changing change in sleep habits, lack of sleep, more sleep, uh, lack of appetite, more appetite, mm-hmm. um, restlessness as well. Preoccupation of about death, so that's something that teenagers even more so, or in, in different ways, I should say, than than um, than younger kids uh, start to uh, really can can start to really um, hone in on fixate on on issues related to death. Not unhealthy, but needs to be channeled mm-hmm. uh, with an adult support, and if needed, into a professional environment um, to support. Uh, uh, teenagers especially. Um, so looking for things that, that may sound familiar to the audience uh, which could be symptoms of depression and, and anxiety as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just some some tips on how to support and help grieving teenagers and adolescents. Um, anyone who's been a teenager or with a teenager knows that judgment goes <laughs> with the uh with the the part and parcel with the relationship. So listening without judging is crucial. Um, teens are already coming to the, the to the party in the conversation expecting to be judged or why are you judging me mom or dad so listening with empathy and no judgment validating their responses um, however uh, the the young man or young woman is feeling is okay um, and being open and um, also as I mentioned for the for the younger kids making sure that you're um, giving them time to, to to talk about their identity and where they fit in so a lot of the same themes um Uh, go for both the younger kids and uh, a little bit older.
0: Uh, That's so helpful. I think that it just, like, even watching, like, kids in my family deal with it, like, and and knowing how to talk to them. Like, I remember this um, spring, my nephew was downstairs like watching things on his iPad or reading or something and I went downstairs to just like check on him and I was sitting and I was like trying not to cry right and he's like Brooke what's wrong I was like I'm just sad like and he's like is it about Grandpa Bo I was like Yeah. I was like, thanks for asking. That's really nice. And he's like, I know you would ask me too. And he like gave me a hug and I was just like... How old is he? He's 11.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs) That must have been an eye opener for both of you just to be present and open to each other in that moment. I
0: know. And I think that the thing that um, is a really big misconception, especially with younger children, is that they don't realize quite what's going on. Right. And that's couldn't be further from the truth right. like kids are so perceptive about everything yeah
1: thank you for mentioning that because i know we were going to talk about myths and you just hit hit a big yes, one that's so for sure so i
0: would love if you can talk a little bit about what some of the myths around children and like grief and death
1: are. Definitely. Well I don't think you need me because you were already hitting on some of these <laughs> major themes. Like the fact that uh, that um, adults often will uh, assume children don't grieve uh, but clearly and as we've been talking about and Brooke is sharing her lived experiences as well and, and loved ones the children's of all ages grief. We talked a little bit about how that grief can manifest at different stages of development but the reality is everyone um, uh, at any age grieves uh, the loss of a loved one. So that's a, that's a universal common thread. Um, I also want to just highlight uh, a myth that, that, uh, and especially with helicopter parents, um, I won't call anyone out in particular, but we know yeah. the type that's right. The, yes. the ones who want to protect um, their kids and understandably so from all of life's hardships might have, um, uh, an instinct to jump in and want to shield, um, the child their child or wh- whoever they're 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 looking to support from loss and from the grief and um, the the best thing I think that any parent or, or someone who cares about that kid can do is not to shield them but to, again to be honest there's certainly a um, uh, a healthy and unhealthy dose of reality that one can share, depending on where that child is at in, in their own development. But um, shielding a, a child from, from loss is, is, A, not going to work. And uh, the, the, the better approach is to help oneself, an adult, and then uh, pass along and pay forward to the child, and... Um, Adaptive tools, tools that one can use, and I talked a little bit about mm-hmm. some of the ones that um, the COPE offers, the services and programs, but tools that parents and kids can use um, day in and day out to begin integrating and living with the loss, again, not getting over it.
0: And if you could give any, to maybe pivot or expand on that a little bit, of what to include children in versus what they should be maybe left out of, and I know that would depend on where they are. Um, in their development cycle, but I think that it depends on the child, I'm sure, and like I, I've seen this in my own family, but just of like some things that maybe parents would think to not include them in. Definitely. But that could be helpful in their long-term
1: grief Absolutely, Absolutely, and, and, and again you said it well because it really does depend a little bit, not only on the family dynamic, but also on where the child is at. So Um, So
0: maybe considerations for people. Absolutely.
1: So family units are crucial, and they're not the only ones that... um, And here's a myth as well, actually, is that families and parents are not the only ones by far who are there or should be there to support a a child. So there's help, there are networks, there are groups like COPE Foundation um, to support family members and just to remember to stay connected and that no one is alone in this kind of healing work. Um, For teenagers, especially, and it can even be uh, younger teens, include them in plans, include them in uh, family discussions. Uh, Use your judgment, of course, when it it comes to um, any particularly sensitive issues, but um, don't close the door on those conversations and invite especially um, a a young adult into those conversations to be part of, of, uh, of planning. Um, rituals can be part of that as well different uh, faiths and communities have different rituals whether it's wakes or um, mm-hmm. uh, shivas in the case of the Jewish faith and there are opportunities mm-hmm. using your, your judgment mm-hmm. and um, where where your, your um, loved child is at in, at that moment to include them in, in some way shape or form yeah. in those processes and I don't know if you've had any experiences um, on, on your own with those when <laughs>
0: my aunt passed away when we were 12 we um Help put together the slideshow. And there I you think go. that's a really good place for kids it's to like terrific
1: help, idea, yeah. help
0: structure pictures and just look through pictures. And then I think the nice thing I've always found when we've been, I've done this a few times, is you get the stories associated with the pictures. That's wonderful. And I think that that's a really nice way both for the adults to like have some happy memories, um, but then also for the kids to like hear more history. I love it. Um,
1: And you created a legacy. So that slideshow now lives on for anyone who wants to know more about her and and, and your family connection. That's so special. I
0: think that that could be a really nice way to get kids involved. Um, And then when my aunt passed away, my cousin's um, and I, we wrote a song oh, about nice. her, and we sang it at um, the... We had a celebration of life for her, um, and we got up and sang
1: it. That's terrific.
0: I, like, and so, obviously, like if you don't have... I'm not musical, I okay. don't think. You may or may
1: not be sharing it on a future podcast, <laughs> is what you're saying. I definitely will okay, not right.
0: <laughs> and, um, But I think that depending on... Or if they want to read or like help pass out programs or look through pictures, like I think that there's a lot... That you can do that will let the children, like, because if you shut your grieving process off that's and right. pretend it's not happening, yep. that's not good for anybody. That's right. And so of how you can help them in the planning, I
1: think, that's it.
0: if yep. you can. Absol- well, no, it's, it's, it's exactly
1: way. what you're saying, Giving creating the space and the opportunity. And then seeing how the kids, how it resonates. And again, as we were saying earlier, one doesn't always know, especially with children, but also with big children like adults, how one is processing. Mm -hmm. But um, have some faith and some trust that there is a real impact going on. And I'll just bring it back to the special times that we have at Camp Aaron where some kids seem withdrawn and then we'll hear six months or a year later, wow, making that drum and beating that drum and reflecting on what that drumming experience meant to me and my dad who died two years ago it really made a difference so um keep creating those spaces and opportunities and i love the creative and uh and authentic connection that you and your your family made uh with the slideshow i think that 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 goes a long way to yeah. to a shared experience yeah
0: nice. absolutely um so i know we kind of went off on a little tangent but if there's any other myths with children and grief that we didn't touch on but yeah
1: there's too many and again these will <coughs> all be on our websites brooks and, and cope's websites but um uh, one one thing that I'll I'll uh, and it's kind of two two sides to the same coin, um, two connected myths. Uh, one is that kids are totally unresilient and permanently scarred by loss, and there's no way for them to uh, ever get over or integrate um, a, a loss of a loved one into their life, and that's simply not true. We've talked about about a bunch of ways that um, families and other loved ones can start to help the child in, in, in their journey. Um, and the other side of that is that children are completely resilient and, uh, everything, um, uh, from loss to grief and, and bereavement can just kind of float off their back. And that's not true either. So, um, just to be mindful of where your child is at, where the, the child who's grieving is at in terms of their own grief journey and, and giving them the space either for additional supports as needed or, um, recognizing that they're doing some of the work and just keep providing some of that support and, and tools yeah. for them to, to either embrace or leave behind. And I mentioned another one, which I'll just, uh, hit at least one or two more times before we, uh, before we close today is that families are not in this, this healing and, and grief work alone. So, um, Uh, first of all, self-care is so important for Mm -hmm. anyone. Mm -hmm. Self-care is so important for anyone, especially living with the loss of a loved one. We see this with um, parents and families who cope supports all the time, that it's uh, a question of, can I get out of bed and brush my teeth today, let alone, how am I going to read a book with my child tonight Mm -hmm. and get them through their nightmares uh, or whatever they might be dealing with? So families, while um, they're the crucial unit to uh, share a grief experience and a grief journey together they should not be the only ones it's not fair to the family and it's not healthy either because there are support networks and systems like COPE Foundation mm-hmm. who are there to support families and especially uh, and particularly children in, in the unique ways that we've been talking about so I encourage your listeners um, to share to reach out to local organizations I know you have some experience with in your family with hospice care as well there's lots of great hospice um, support as well especially for the periods um, uh, immediately up to? And, and maybe you want to talk a little bit more of that. I'm sure you have on, on yeah. your podcast as well.
0: Yeah. So with hospice care, um, a lot of hospice centers will provide um, care and support for a year afterwards because I want to get you through all of the first milestones right. without them. So holidays, their birthday, your birthday, everything. Um, but one thing that that hospice center, they uh, they all have like their little pamphlets of yes. to expect all yes. of that. But a lot of them have children's books that they can drop, have a volunteer drop off with you. Um, so if you don't have time to go to the bookstore or you right. don't know where to start or if you can't afford books, whatever. Or you can't it get is, out of
1: bed to brush your teeth. You can make hopefully exactly. make a phone call or send an email. Exactly, right.
0: and they're really good about doing periodic reach outs, um, which like if you can't get out of bed or like even get your mind to go there for someone to provide a touch point of like what can we get you Um, know that you can ask for children's books um, because I think a lot of people don't know that
1: great well that's a awesome resource and I'm so grateful that you're sharing all of these tips with the listening audience which I'm sure is growing because there are so many people with shared experiences I'll just uh, add in terms of um, some other things to be mindful of, both for adults, parents, siblings, kids, anyone living with losses, is, is, is it's it's crucial to reduce isolation. And there's yeah. a natural pull towards um, wanting to be alone, and that's okay to a degree. But um, isolation can um, can. Uh, hinder the grief journey and and, and and the integration of loss. And if you want to talk about that, please do, because it's been a while since I've lived with the loss mm-hmm. of a loved one, um, but I've seen for COPE family members, the concept of connecting to each other and staying connecting is crucial. So
0: I'll say, like, there's this very interesting community on Instagram that a lot of people are, who I've been connecting with since I've started this podcast, that they start, get involved in the death industry if you will somehow um, because they have experienced a loss and so have been talking to a lot of people and realizing that while every situation is unique there are so many common threads um, that you can talk about people or talk to people um, about and one thing that I found fascinating as I started this people are always like what do you do when I meet someone like I have my own business I teach Pilates and I have a podcast and everyone's like oh what's your podcast about? And that's where they go. Right. That's yeah, right yeah. where they go. And so like 40% of people are like, oh, yep. <laughs> when I tell them, right, did, right, right. And a lot, um, the other 60% are like, oh, um, why do you decide to start that? Or like, we'll start asking questions Got and it. I'll say like, if you don't mind me asking, like, how come you're so interested Um, And people will say, like, well, I've experienced this. So I was at a New Year's party this week, and I met this woman, and she was, like, really fun, whatever. She asked me what I did, and then she was asking me all these questions. And she has her own story of um, a fiancé who has um, cancer. And so we, like, talked a lot about that. And I think that it's really allowed for me to cut small talk. It's great. Um, which, when you're grieving and someone starts talking about like the weather, you're yep. like, really? Yep, right. <laughs> like, or I was like that. Maybe sure. some people who don't want to sure, talk sure. about it enjoy that. Yep. But it really has allowed um, to like forge like deeper bonds with people yeah. quickly um, and to reduce that isolated
1: well, feeling. Well, you, you, you've definitely tapped into and are building a community here, and it's so crucial. So, whatever the 60 <laughs> 40 tilt will be in the future, we know that as humans, Everyone's touched by loss, so yeah. it's not something, again, that anyone's going to get over and it's it's going to be part of our lives. Uh, there is plenty of stigma around it and, and within different kinds of loss yeah. either. And I think
0: that's like starting to go away Well, I, a I, I, bit. That's
1: why I just want to shout you out and so many others, and, and you and I met um, in some shared communities as well around the death industry or the space of grief and healing. And, and the more that we can have these conversations and find those points of connectivity... Um, I think it's only going to, to help all of us, so I give you so much credit for doing that and allowing me to share um, on behalf of the 1,000-plus the COPE family members that we've been supporting, um, some of their shared experiences, because especially for uh, so many of the parents that, that come to COPE and, and, and tap into other resources... Um, those who've lost a child or a child who's lost a a dad or a mom, it's a club and it's a club that no one signs up for or wants to belong to. But the fact is that it's a club and there's others here Mm -hmm. um, to to lean on, to be together, um, to stay connected with, to remember that you're not alone. I'm not alone. We're not alone. And uh, I just applaud you for what you're doing here.
0: I applaud you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, Thank you everyone for listening. I hope that um, you found this information helpful. You can find us again on social at the underscore grief coach. You can reach out at hello at the co. And, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.